Good morning. Certainly good to be here today. And want to welcome you to another fifth Sunday in the year of 2020. And so far, what a year it has been. And we certainly hope that the remainder of this year will be greater, better, and safer than what we have experienced thus far. I truly believe that if people will turn to Jesus Christ, that that will be at the results of turning to Him. A better year, a safer year. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the man Jesus. And I would like for us to consider primarily two questions concerning Him. And that is, did He live and why did He live? Why did He come into your world and mine? Why did He pay us a visit? First of all, did Jesus live? That question has to be answered with an absolute affirmative. And the reason that it has to be answered in that manner is because it cannot be successfully denied that Jesus was a real, living, historical figure. The reason we know that He was a real, living, historical figure is because of all the historical facts, the historical evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. And hence, if you and I can know anything, we can know that there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ whose sandaled feet graced the sandy shores of the ancient Sea of Galilee over 2,000 years ago. And the reason we know that and the reason we believe that is because of the historical evidence that is available, available not only in your Bible, but historical evidence that is available outside of your Bible. The historical documents of both the Old and the New Testament Scriptures. The ancient documents of the Old Testament Scriptures foretold of the coming of a man, the coming of a prince who would actually be God. This coming prince, this coming man-God, it was foretold, would be born in a particular city, the city of Bethlehem, from a particular bloodline, the bloodline of the Jews. He would be, suffer and die in a particular way, and that is on a cross, and he would be raised from the dead to atone for the sins of the world. All of that would occur at a particular time, and that is in the days of the Roman kings. Immediately after that predicted time, in the days of the Roman kings, multiple eyewitnesses, both proclaimed and later recorded, that those predicted elements and events had actually occurred. Many of those eyewitnesses endured persecution and endured even death because of their belief. They could have saved themselves by denying those events which they did not do. Who gives their life for a lie? Nobody but crazy people. But thousands of people have given their lives willingly for their belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem 
believed the gospel. They believed the good news that Jesus Christ is King, He is Lord, He is Savior because He conquered the tomb. And that belief was scattered and believed quickly across the ancient world. Ancient historians and ancient writers allude to and confirm these events and that archaeology corroborates them. Again, the evidence is overwhelming. The evidence of the creation of the world, the creation of man, the fall of man, God raising up the nation of Israel to bring Jesus into the world, Jesus dying on the cross, the establishment of the church, those are historical events that cannot be denied. Now Christians, therefore, don't get brownie points with God for being stupid. And even God knows that it would be stupid to believe in God, Christ, the Bible, and the church without sufficient reasons to believe. And that's why God gave us so much evidence. Extraordinary claims demands extraordinary proof. And God gave us plenty of it. Even Jesus said, you would not be guilty of sin if I had not spoken to you. You would not be guilty of sin, the sin of disbelief, if I had not performed miracles before you in your very presence. That's John 15, 22 and 25. And so what did Jesus say? He said that if I had not spoken to you, if I had not performed miracles before you, you would not be guilty of sin in rejecting belief in me. We need to understand that. That faith is not a blind leap into the dark. And we have those miracles recorded. We have the presence of Jesus on this earth recorded. And therefore, that's the basis of our belief. The claim that religion is simply a matter of blind faith is nothing more than a modern myth. It's not true. We believe because of rock-solid evidence. And from that standpoint, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. And the reason is because the only reasons that the atheist can give for their disbelief in God is based upon flimsy theories. How did man come to be? How did the world come to be? Where did the world come from? Well, it's the theory of the Big Bang, the big explosion, the theory, uh, the, the Big Bang theory that there was this explosion and the world just began, began to exist. Where did man come from? Well, one day a wiggly sea creature crawled out of the ocean and man evolved from that wiggly sea creature. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe what our Bible tells us about the creation of the world and the creation of man. Atheists have to have a lot more faith from that standpoint than Christians. Consider everything they have to explain away. They have to explain away the predictions concerning Jesus Christ, that He lived, predictions that were fulfilled in detail. They have to explain away a story. They have to explain away the story of the, the creation of the world, that God created the heavens and the earth, the fall of man, the nation of Israel, 
Jesus being raised up, the establishment of the church, and the new creation that the Bible promises, which has already started through the resurrection of Jesus. They have to explain all of that away. They have to explain away the eyewitness testimony. They have to explain away the willingness of the eyewitnesses to suffer and die. And again, who gives their life for a lie? They have to explain that away. They have to explain away the origin of the New Testament church. And they have to explain away the cooperating testimony of all the writers outside of the Bible who speak of the same thing. Also, the archaeological discoveries that confirm the biblical testimony. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And I'm sure you don't either. Because it's a blind leap into the dark. You have to be as blind as a bat to be an atheist and not believe. Now, the second question. Why did Jesus Christ live? Why did He come here? He came here to tell us, number one, who God is and what God is like. In John 1 and verse 18, John said, No man has seen God at any time. But the only begotten of the Father, which is full of truth and grace, He has declared Him. <coughs> he has made Him known. God was made known through the person of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, the man Jesus. Jesus was asked by Philip, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you this long, Philip, and you still don't understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 14, 8 and 9. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus is. The firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of His person, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. And so who is God and what is God like? We're not left to wonder. For Jesus came into our world and showed us who God is and what He's like. This was God in the flesh manifesting to us what He thinks of us and we learn something about God from Him coming into our world. We learn that He's a people God. He came into our world for people. Speaking life to prostitutes. Telling a woman taken in adultery. No accusers. They don't condemn you. Well, I don't either, girl. Go your way and stop sinning. Someone who really cared and reached for people and served people and was willing to die for people. We learned that about God through Christ Jesus living. Number two, Jesus lived in order to become king. In John 18.33, we read about a governor by the name of Pilate, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. And Pilate asked Jesus a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, in essence, said, Yes, I am. You're right in saying I'm a king. To this end was I born to be king. To this end came I into the world to be king and to testify of the truth. And everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Can you imagine a man making that kind of statement? The man Jesus saying, Yes, I was born to be king. I came into the world to be king. And if you're going to stand on the side of truth, you must listen to me. 
Why would he say such a thing? Because he is God. God in the flesh. He became God in the flesh. He's still God in the flesh. And he will always be God in the flesh. The man, Jesus Christ. And one of these days, you'll, you and I will be able to reach out and touch him in his physical body. That's eternal and will last forever, just like the body you and I will one day be given. Yes, He's God. And He doesn't have to learn anything. He knows everything. He is the embodiment of absolute truth. He is truth personified. And if we stand on the side of truth, then we're going to listen to Him. Only Christ, the King, can direct our paths. Only Christ, the King, can give us a way that is richer and deeper and finer, truer, purer, and lovelier. He's our only hope. He's the only hope for our world. He's the only hope for our nation. Jesus the Christ, the One who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to Me but by the Father. No man comes to the Father but by Me. John 14, verse 6. For by Him all things were created, things that are in heaven, things on the earth, whether they be visible or invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, powers, or authorities, all things have been created through Him, by Him, and for Him. That's Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Listen. This pandemic is not king. This pandemic COVID-19 is not Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. And everything that comes on the human family has first of all got to get by Him. And, it, and if it gets by Him and if it's on the human family, then He willed it one way or the other. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. We need Jesus as King to direct our steps because we're not smart enough and we are not wise enough to direct our own steps. The prophet Jeremiah stated that long ago in Jeremiah 10.23 when he said, O oh Lord, I know the ways of man is not within himself. It's not within man who walks to direct his own way, his own steps. Without God, man messes up everything. He always has and he always will. Did you know that for 3,500 years, man was totally ignorant about the importance of mitigation during a pandemic. Man was totally ignorant about what causes the spread of disease. Even up to the close of the 18th century, hygienic practices in hospitals were primitive. Doctors performed surgery without masks. They performed surgery without washing their hands. They didn't even sterilize their instruments. And as a result, hundreds upon hundreds of people died in hospitals because of infectious disease. During the 14th century, over 60 million people died from a plague that they labeled as Black Death. Man in his pride, and man in his prejudice had failed to read the Bible and apply 
God's wisdom. They did that for 3,500 years. When the Israelites left Egypt, God told Moses in Exodus 15.26, if you listen carefully to to the voice of the Lord your God, if you do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands, and if you keep all of His decrees, I will put none of these diseases on you that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Isn't that a statement to read in our Bibles? None of these diseases. None of these diseases. If you'll just listen to me and do what is right and keep my commands and my decrees. And why did God put these plagues on Egypt? He got tired of their lies. Why does God continue to place plagues on the world? He gets tired and fed up with all of our lies. None of these diseases contingent upon four commands. If you'll listen, number one, carefully to me. And number two, if you'll do what is right. This is Exodus 15.26. Number three, keep my moral commands. And number four, keep all my decrees and statutes. And I believe that those decrees and statutes for the nation of Israel and for all other people would include laws of mitigation. I don't know what I did with my mask. I had my mask here a while ago. When I told these guys I had it on for a while, I was afraid Governor Bashir might show up. But I want you to listen to what God has to say about it. Egypt practiced all kinds of archaic cures for disease, and none of them worked. That was man's wisdom. You know, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. In Leviticus 13.43, in dealing with leprosy or any other disease, here's what God said 4,000 years ago. The man is to be examined to determine whether he has the infectious disease. The person with such an infectious disease must cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he must live alone. Not only must he wear a mask, he must isolate himself, practice social distancing, live alone. He must live outside of the camp and must wash his clothing. That's Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 43. In 1865, Joseph Lister, a British surgeon, became acquainted with a bacteriologist by the name of Louis Pasteur. And they started telling all these doctors, we have been ignorant through the years and through the centuries as to what causes disease to spread. And they started explaining all of this. I mean, finally, after 3,500 years, these two men began explaining to these doctors we've been doing it wrong. And the doctors thought they were crazy. And do you know who the two most hated men in the 19th century were in the medical field? It was Pasteur and Lister. The pride of man. And the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. 
man finally learned by investigation what God had declared by revelation 3,500 years before. And you know where they finally learned it? They learned it from the churches. Why did they learn it from the churches? Because people in the churches were reading their Bibles. They were reading about the laws of mitigation and how to keep disease from spreading. Now, isn't man wise? And isn't man smart? It took him that long, 3,500 years, to learn what God had already revealed in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Listen, brethren, I, I hope you and I realize that we'll take all that science offers us, and they've offered us plenty, but you can't put all your faith in science because they don't always get it right. Science is only 300 years old. We've got to place our trust in the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ lived to bring redemption, renewal, and reconciliation to a world lost in sin and to save us from our own self-destructive ways. And there is a much darker problem that we face in our nation today than this unseen virus. And I'm sure you will agree with me as Christian people. There's a far more dangerous virus that each and every one of us are facing other than COVID-19, and it's the virus of sin that has come as a result of rejecting God. We are being destroyed by our own self-destructive ways, and it's being manifested on the streets of our major cities just in the past few days. All of the rape and the plunder and the burning, the atrocities, the anarchy, the disease, the death and decay are but the footprints of God walking away from us. One gentleman corrected me and said, I believe that it's the footprints of man walking away from God. Either way you put it. The in God we trust nation that we call America no longer exists. Those four words in God we trust are but words on paper. I grew up in the 50s and the 60s when those words meant something. When God and government and family life and school life were closely linked and regulated by one another. We believed in the separation of God and state. But we did not believe, never believed, and will never believe that there is a separation between God and state. God and government. There's a separation between church and state. Maybe I worded that wrong. But there's not a separation between God and state. But then the human secularists came along. The progressive. And they said, we don't need God. We can do without Him. And as a result of that, today's government, today's media, the schools of higher learning, and the courts of justice are godless. They seldom get it right. And we can't place our trust in them. No God, no Jesus, no goodness, no justice. No justice, troubled hearts, and a troubled world. Now we're told that we can build a bigger and better world 
through science and technology. We can build a bigger and better world through being progressive and enlightened and the wisdom of man. I want to ask a question. How well are we doing? How well are we doing? In a hungry, angry, lonely, and tired world. Now here's the good news. Jesus, the one who sits on a throne and says to to you and to me, I am creating all things new. Revelation 21 and verse 5. That's the gospel, the good news. Here's what's important. Here's what really counts, Paul said. It's a new creation. Galatians 6 and verse 15. You and I are a part of that new creation. We became a part of it when we were immersed into union with Jesus. When we were raised with Jesus to walk in newness of life. Not in oldness of life, but a new creature. A new creation. Romans 6 and verse 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Old things have passed away, behold. All things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. And one of these days, it will become so new that we'll have to have a new body to live in a new world under a new world order. That's the story of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's the only thing in which we can place our trust. We cannot place our trust in the justice of man and the kingdoms of men, only in the kingdom of God. Because the ungodly man's world will one day be dismantled for good. And only the kingdom of God, which is eternal and spiritual, will survive. Quickly, he came here to get us out of our selfishness and our self-serving ways. He died that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us. He died on a cross in order that we might deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 and Luke 9 and verse 23. If you're going to follow Me, Jesus said, deny yourself. That's what He did. Jesus denied Himself, died to Himself, and sacrificed His life for your life and for mine. Let this mind be in you. <clears throat> which was also in Christ Jesus. And last of all, He came here and lived to save us from what happens in a grave. And that is physical decay. He will give life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's Romans 8 verse 11. He will not only give you spiritual life and eternal life, He will give you physical life that will last forever. He'll give life to your mortal bodies. We will survive as humans. All of the first century Christians believed that the resurrection was the resurrection of the flesh. Human flesh. More solid, more material, and more endurable than ever before because we're going to have a body that's eternal. It can never be destroyed. But it will be a physical body. It will be this body that is transformed as it's raised one day from the grave. We're going to be saved from what happens in the grave, from physical death. That's what the Bible means when it says that Jesus came to abolish death. He came to abolish... What did He abolish on the cross? He didn't just abolish spiritual death. 
He had no sin to abolish. But he had physical death to abolish because three days later he was alive again. He abolished physical death and brought to life, life and immortality through the good news, through the gospel. You and I will one day have a body likened to his glorious body. And that's when death will be swallowed up in victory. When this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruptible incorruption. Jesus said to Martha, do you believe your brother will live again? She said in the resurrection. And remember what Jesus said? He said, oh Martha, you're looking at the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Well, she did believe it, and we believe it, and we believe it because of a cross, because of a hill, and because of an empty tomb. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless us as we've assembled here today to honor Him, to honor Him as King of kings and Lord of lords.